The 100% Wild Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the nation's number one GPS hunting app. Download today in the Google Play and App Store. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I am Tim Chelswick. I'm Matt Drury. We got two special Drury's with us today, Mark and Terry. Where capacity? Have we ever done this before? Where he and I are on? Same I time? don't for think the so. Deercast. Deercast. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, feature. Okay. Yeah. Debut. Maybe. Yeah. But not for a normal subject podcast. I don't, I don't think, think it's. So. I don't if think this it's one legal. doesn't hit two thousand views, I'm gonna be real upset. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna come to your house. We're gonna find you. We're gonna ask you why you're not listening. You're watching. There you go. Because <laughs> so. we're that aggressive. I have high expectations here. <laughs> well, and and we're talking about land mm-hmm. on this episode. The American dream. How to acquire land, and and before we started the show, we were talking about just how spooky it can be to make that purchase. And and really the question kind of comes from one of our listeners and this apologize to Chaz because this came in back in September of 2018. And we, we have are, so many questions. We just well, and it's hard to get Mark and Terry in the same place at the same time. So I figured they're here now. So why don't we, uh, why don't we roll into that? That's right. So, but before we hop into that, what's new with you guys? We're we're doing a lot of routine maintenance stuff right now at the farm, just trying to get ready for deer season. As weird as that sounds, we got turkey season, you know, in the middle here. But we're always, uh, you know, number one, we're putting our best foot forward. We're putting some roofs on different buildings that have blown off, or fixing gates, going around the entire parcel, mending fences. Yeah. And we're we just started the process yesterday. Starting to burn. Mm. We're uh, we got some switch grass that we're burning. So we're we're doing a lot of the routine maintenance stuff that you let go. Through throughout the season, even equipment, you know, we're working on some of the planters and drills and what have you that, you know, you let that maintenance go too long and then it becomes expensive. So we're trying to keep up. Sure. Same, including into that timber stand improvement. We've done a bunch of that this fall as well, or this winter. So it's, uh, things are good though. You know, you yeah. look at the last season and you go, as you're hunting, I'm sitting there, I make a list in my phone and I, so I don't forget it. You know, this needs to be addressed. This needs to be addressed. And then at the end of the season, I always go, what could we have done better throughout the season? Yeah. And I'm like, we've got to get better at bedrooms and, and bedroom maintenance and overall switch grass and food plots. And we're frost eating clover right now, which yeah. I know you are too. So which we had cr- frost seeded when we had the snow on up there we frosted oh, yeah. a lot of stuff but so yeah. how do you go about looking at an aerial or or just knowing your property and saying all right this section is where we need to do a little tsi or you know how do you go about that thought process i think when you're sitting there if you're not seeing a lot of movement during daylight activities repeatedly year in and year out mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's like okay that they're bedding too far away so we've got to scoot the bed closer and if you've got cover that you can go in and do tsi on you can do that sure. if you don't you may have to create the cover via, you know, planting warm season grasses. If you've got the timber, you can thicken that timber up. Timber's easy to thicken up, but you need to do it slowly and and cautiously. Like you don't want to go in there with a chainsaw and go crazy. Have a method to it. Do a little bit this year, a little bit next year, a little bit year after that, you know, till you finally get them bedding a little bit closer. And the point with that is get more sunlight to the forest floor. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 They make their living five feet down, you know? So those trees that are all 40 foot tall, they're not doing much good unless they're dropping a nut. Sure. You know, we, we were talking about it yesterday, Matt and I, just briefly the, about the tender, timber stand improvements that we have not done. But because of the drought that we had a few years ago, it killed so many big trees that now I got trees laying everywhere. And all of a sudden that, you know, that understory has started to really, really develop. It's coming on through. So it was kind of Mother Nature's way of doing some TSI, to really? be quite 
saunas. Yeah. And and the other way of looking at that, if you if you can't bring the bedroom closer, you can always move the food plot a little closer yeah, to absolutely. the bedroom. So that's another option. No doubt. Or you play the moon and you say, well, I'm gonna sit a little longer this morning, or I'm gonna go in a little sooner in the mm-hmm. afternoon. But absolutely. But there's different ways of skinning a cat. No doubt. You know what's stuck in my head? It's from the podcast we did a couple episodes ago. Stan Putz screaming triple canopy. <laughs> to Stoltz, you remember that? Stan and I climbed up. Steve, it was one of his sets. Yeah. I think I remember where it, where it's at, too. Yeah. I remember exactly where that is. We were, the question of the day that day was uh, kind of a, asking us some of our thoughts on the old, original, you know, monster buck hunts <laughs> or whatever the case may be. So we got to go back and live live. Live some funny old times. Fond there. memories Talk with about Stanley. Steve Stoltz a lot. <laughs> that one was pretty good though. That yeah. was that was funny. He was so l- mad, <laughs> mad. He climbed down and went looking for Stoltz. <laughs> Stoltz was <laughs> triple triple canopy. <laughs> well, he would throw him up there, but he never would do any trimming. Ever. I mentioned that. No. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Well, why don't we get to Chaz's question? All right. So the question of the day is brought to you by Cabela's Bass Pro. Your adventure starts here. I'll read the question. (laughs) I thought you had audio. Sorry. (laughs) So Chaz emailed us and said, I'd love to hear a podcast featuring both Mark and Terry, where they walk the audience through their stages of land ownership. First of all, this production is really slick. I will say that. Here, Mark, you read. Extremely (laughs) tight. Terry and I talked about this, but no. Um, I feel like I read it in a way that doesn't sound like I'm reading it, though, guys. So that feels like it's pretty much a slick podcast. (laughs) Slick. Well produced. Okay. I would say that, and I made this comment in the break. And then I'll make this statement and then we'll break down what I mean by that. I said, if Terry and I weren't so conservative and so risk averse, we would own a lot more ground today than we do. But we were scared of debt. And I suspect many of our viewers are in that same position right now if they're listening to this. So you can take it from there, Terry. What finally got you across the, the fence to... Buy, make that first purchase. And, and to follow that up just a little bit, we're still scared of debt. I mean, it never gets uh, to, point, to the point where you feel comfortable with it. That's just the way we were raised, the way we were brought up. You always pay your bills. You don't let too much mount up. So we're, we're still afraid of getting uh, too much debt. With that being said, because I was in the construction industry, which you're well aware of back in the day, we would buy parcels of property and then invest a substantial sum of money and go in there and develop that property, sell those developed lots. So there was some some debt service there that we we grew accustomed to, not because we wanted to, but it was part of that nature, nature of that business. So with that, you know, then all of a sudden when you start looking at real estate or start looking at recreational property, it was a little bit different perspective. You weren't looking at it and saying, okay, how much dirt do I have to move? How many streets are we going to put in? How much sanitary sewer, potable water, underground electric, and all those other elements from infrastructure that are so expensive to where you invest a lot of money in a piece of property? It was raw ground. What was I going to have to do to that ground? What were the fences like? What were the creek crossings like? What were the gates like? So you do a little bit of uh, arithmetic in your head so to speak, and you'd figure out about how much money it'd have to cost you or you may you know, put into it. And then you go the other route and you say, okay, what kind of assets are listed here? How much timber's on this piece of property? What's the age of that timber? You know, is it white oak timber? Is it walnut timber? Mm-hmm. You know, is there any value in this timber? Is it veneer timber or is it pallet grade? And then the next step you'd say, all right, is there any way I can develop any income from a, a 
crop, row crops. Is there soybeans? Is there corn? You know, is there some leasing available here? Pasture ground? Can I lease some of the pasture rights out? Yeah. And then even to take it one step further, if you were really worried about it, you'd say, well, can I lease out the hunting rights? Maybe one firearm hunt a year or maybe one archery hunt a year to try and figure out, you know, if you could service the debt. And if you could get it to where you were kind of neutral on that point, or maybe even a positive fashion, if it had some income on that real estate, mm -hmm. then you were like, hey, this is a no brainer, provided the interest rate stayed the same. That's the only part that could get you. If you locked it in at a, at, let's just use a round number. If you locked it in at 5% and it jumped up to 10, then you were in trouble. But if you locked it in at, at five and the interest went down to three or four, then you were in pretty good shape. You knew were cash flow neutral or cash flow positive. And that was really what you looked at. You kind of really sliced and diced and you said, I want to try and eliminate as much of the risk as I possibly can. Yeah. So you always look for a little bit of income on a farm uh, and, and said, you know what, can I, can I afford this? If I can't afford to do it on my own, can I do it with someone else? That was the other option. And I, I think that's something that a lot of guys overlook. But if you and one other buddy have the same, uh, you know, the same opinion, same concept, same strategy and same hunting style, there's no reason why you can't two guys go together and, and look at a piece of property and then take it down. Imagine a scenario like that. You'd want to have everything in writing. Because I can, <laughs> yeah. I can foresee friendships being torn asunder <clears throat> when there are misunderstandings. Well, yeah, and, and all of a sudden, maybe one guy is wanting to take his, you know, family member or a friend, and you're like, oh, wait a second, you know. So yeah, I think you'd have to have a lot of understanding taking mm -hmm. a partner on in that yeah. regard, but or just let your wives negotiate it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you hear the phrase cash flow positive a lot when you hear people talk about buying a farm and you're alluding to those things, right? Like the way you guys look at a farm and break it down, you know, share a little bit more. There's so many savvy buyers out there right now. And there's so many savvy agents. They're really the market that boat left, right? Yeah. You mm -hmm. might get to neutral, but I don't think you're going to get to positive. That's a tough one to find. In other words, if the interest rate is 5% borrowing Terry's number, you know, and you buy a farm that's a hundred thousand dollars, you need at least $5,000 worth of income on it just to pay the interest per year. If you borrow the entire yeah. amount, that's very hard to find one. That's actually going to you know, make you a little bit money. It might be out there, but I, I find most of the good recreational farms, because you still, if, if deer hunting is your ultimate purpose, you know, you're still going to find farms out there that not all of it is, is usable for, uh, agricultural purposes. Sure, yeah. The timber might come into play where there's mm -hmm. some, you know, timber value out there, but most farms, if you find one that's listed at three points right now, that's a pretty good return on a recreational farm mm -hmm. based on the markets that I look at. The, the first meeting I think you should have, well, the first meeting you should have is with your spouse or your significant other. The second meeting, you need to go to a banker and go, here's what I want to do. Here's my current amount of income. Here's my current amount of debt. Can I mm -hmm. even afford to do this yeah. or what level can I afford to go out there? Then maybe seek partners out or perhaps just seek to be a, a minority interest in a piece. You know, maybe you find the, maybe you find the right partner where it's not as much economic input that you give. Perhaps it's the labor side of it. You know, you might be able to say, I can't afford to buy 50% of this farm, but yeah. I can afford to pay you 10% of the overall cost. And I can put a lot of blood, mm, sweat, and tears that you may not want to give yeah. that, I'll, that I'll put in there and, and make sure this farm eventually retains its, its overall value or expands on that value. That, that's an interesting point because that when dad and I a couple of years ago looked at purchasing a piece together and, and 
I was in this very same scenario when I went to look at my finances and my debt and go to my banker and say, all right, what, what could I get? What can I get for a loan? You know, I, I really had no idea. And when it all boiled down to it, it's like, all right, I'm not going to be a 50, 50 split here. The reality is I could put in 10% for me. It was all I could do, mm-hmm. you know, but it's the it's point start. was it was a start. And we had Dan Perez on a long time ago on the podcast. And he, he had said, I forget, I think, you know, the first piece of property might've been like six acres and then 40 acres. And then, you know, he, he worked his way into buying bigger and bigger pieces, yep. but he said the same thing. You have to start somewhere. So the way I kept looking at it and still look at it is that if I can take the 10% and ultimately be able to at one day take on my own farm, maybe it's 50 acres or 60 acres or a hundred or whatever it is on my own, fully on my own, because we have been able to buy and sell a couple pieces. And I was a 10% owner of, you know, this LLC. The end goal is down the road. It might be 30 years from now, but get rid of him. I might be able to get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's probably thinking, I wish it was more like two years from now. <laughs> I'd be able, be able to get rid of you. So. The end goal here is, yeah. I was wondering when his minority interest would t- convert into labor. Hey, I'm still waiting <laughs> on that part. Farm. <laughs> Maybe when the kids get old enough, send them up there. Well, and and so that we don't get ahead of ourselves, those those smaller tracks are how we started. Absolutely. We really did. And everything is relative. You know, the prices back then we thought were prohibitive. I mean, we really looked at them and said, man, oh man, this this farm is outrageous. But it was, they were smaller tracks. We took them down. We borrowed the money, went to the bank, borrowed the money, and literally put every dime that we earned mm-hmm. into those pieces, turned around and sold them, and then bought a little bit bigger piece the next time. And that's really what it's all about. Danny's absolutely correct, and nobody knows it better than Dan Perez. That's but he's seen truth. it. He's seen it, and he has seen it evolve. But that's kind of how we all got our start, and Dan included way back in the day. Right in the day. We bought those little bitty chunks, yeah. small pieces, something. And even then we couldn't really afford it, but every single dime that we made went into that farm. We didn't have all the extracurricular stuff that other people had. We didn't. Sure. We, we didn't just put it in. in no a, boats, no cycles, no, no you know, no. lived in modest homes in saying, reality. No cabins, no. Nothing. All went into we dirt. had our home and every single cent I had went into dirt. Dirt. And then some. Yes. You know, every single yes. thing because mm-hmm. our passion was so burning so brightly like we had to own dirt. Like we just just, you know, we couldn't well, get enough of it because back then we were like, find a better spot, make your spot better. And we'd hop from state to state to state and outfitter to outfitter to outfitter. And we just weren't pleased with what we were seeing in terms of the quality we wanted to raise. And then we started going to Texas a little bit and we were like, these guys get it down here. They're allowing deer get to the age of five and a half, six and a half years old. We we're like, we need to do that in the Midwest. How do you do that? You control it yourself. So that's what that really led us down the path of owning it and controlling it. As I say, before that, you were leasing. Too, mm-hmm. we were, you know, and then yep. people. But come even in then, and, you don't have control of yeah, it. Right. If they want to yeah. put cattle in there, they put cattle in yeah. there. You know, if they want corn three years in a row, they put corn three years in a row. There's, there's no substitution for having control of it yeah. if you really want to maximize the resource within it. But with that comes a lot of sacrifices. You got to be willing to sacrifice to get to the point where you have control and say so over the ground. There were a lot of months where we weren't sure how we were going to make that payment. I mean, it was, oh, it was, you know. 
pull and tug and scratch and claw for every penny and every dime that went in there. And then you get to the next month and then the following month. And all of a sudden you had some equity built up. Mm. And then if you did decide to flip it, at least it rolled into a little bit more equity for the next piece. But it's about starting small. And, and nobody knows it again better than Dan Perez. What were some of the, if you guys can re- recall, the sizes of the early parcels that you picked up? I had a 53, 53 acre piece. It was one of our better farms over you there. Was, Pike killed that. Yeah. Deer and an I killed out of the same yeah. tree stand. 10 days later. Yeah. yeah. Back that was in, my first deer ever. That was in 86, I think. No, or, no, it? it would have been 96. 96. Okay. Yeah. So, when I killed my first deer ever, it was 96. True. So it was, but it was a piece at that time. We thought we paid too much for it when we bought it. You know, it was one of those that pieces was, over in Pike oh, County. Yeah. No matter when you buy, you always feel like you're paying a lot. Sure. You know, I can't remember a piece where I went, well, I got a great deal on that one, you know, <laughs> because it's it just, that's the way the market is. But the yeah. market continues to go up and up and up. I mean, they're, they're not making any more of it, you know? So I think regardless of when you stepped into buying your first piece, whether it was, it, you know, the mid to early nineties or mid to late nineties, or if it's today, Terry mentioned before the podcast, it's relative, right? Mm-hmm. Where's it going to be in 10 years, 20 years? Well, my, I'm very bullish on it. I think it's going to continue to go up. Now, one of the pitfalls I would think is if you, if there's a piece of ground, it might look like the best thing ever. It's the piece you want, but if it's been bought and sold like two, three times within a few years, like it's probably maxed out for now, right? Maybe you learn that by looking at the comps in the neighborhood and you learn that by talking to every realtor that's selling dirt. I would call the rep at Mossy Oak Properties. I'd call Whitetail Properties, Land Pros, Dream Dirt. I would call them all and just educate yourself. Ask about certain pieces. Mm -hmm. Ask about comps in the area. Ask them where they think the market's going. And if that area doesn't suit your needs, perhaps you need to look at a different state, believe it or not. Because if the long-term goal is to own close to where you live, which I would assume most people that would be the goal. Well, if the market doesn't fit you now, perhaps there's an emerging market out there somewhere that you can buy at a lower price, Mm -hmm. build it up and eventually sell it to create the the money that you need to afford the land close to where you're at. You know, because if you're sitting in Pike County, Illinois right now, and you're trying to buy your first 80, that's a tough task. However, Mm -hmm. you go to Kentucky or Oklahoma or Kansas, there's some other dirt out there that's a third or a fourth of the price of that, where you could possibly start that snowball and get it Mm -hmm. rolling and eventually build up to where you could afford ground closer to where you live. So what kind of down payments are like percentage wise are you looking at when you buy a recreational piece of property? It depends really, on your credit a little it, bit. It, yeah. You know? And it's not too indifferent from, from purchasing a home. A home. Yeah. They're looking at 20% down. Yeah. And really, if you can't secure that 20% down, you may or may not have any business buying a piece because you might not be able to afford it. Mm-hmm. So it may take five or 10 years to to acquire 20% down payment. The other option is to take on that buddy, that that equity mm-hmm. partner. And there, there are those guys out there. You know, the, the stock market is so volatile, you know, which we've seen in the last several days, how volatile the market can be. There there are those guys out there that actually have money and mm. have cash that are willing to put it into Who real estate. Are they? <laughs> and they, they well, I'm not going to tell you. Give me a list of names and addresses and numbers. <laughs> Please. They may want to pull it out of the market yes. while we're at a high and yes. move it somewhere else. Yeah, like I personally think there's a big push coming in land here, you know, depending on the election this fall. But I, I think if if we see President Trump get reelected, I think you're you're in for a, a good little ride here with land coming up. That's my personal thought. So, but there are those guys out there, meaning if you can't take it down and you don't, you don't have the 20%, you can't afford the monthly payments, by all means, get the ball rolling and try and look for another partner. Yeah. Two guys are much stronger than one, you know? Someone that 
sucks at hunting, <laughs> can't shoot straight, has no discretionary time. That's him. Yeah. That would be the part. <laughs> that you'll that's the guy. Yeah, find somebody that's a <laughs> workaholic. For some reason, he wants you to be his partner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the cat, the cachet of it. I got Tim Chelswick partnering with me on this property. He is so likable. <laughs> <laughs> and he has his podcast. Oh, we do. That sounded kind of negative the way he said it. It really, yeah. I mean, most of it was. I think that's how it was intended. <laughs> Not intended. Um, Not intended. Well, so my buddy just picked up 48. Acres and he had some um, a timber stand evaluation done, and it turns out he's got about 10k worth. Right of, on, there you That's go. A lot property. for 40 acres. Yeah, that is a lot. And uh, and so, like, it begged the question: Me, how much does a timber stand evaluation cost? Like, what what is the initial cost to to start reaping some of that? that value that's there in the property. Well, the evaluation wouldn't cost that much. It's the actual cut where you did that logging industry. Now I can just tell you, you've got to make sure you interview a lot of loggers and a lot of references for those loggers. Mm -hmm. If there's one um, (laughs) profession that doesn't have the best of reputation, it's the logging industry. Mm. I've come to find some great ones and have great relationships with them and I trust them, but I still get assessments and evaluations before they ever do a sure. cut for me. And then we count the logs and measure the logs. And You have to be that involved. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Wow. 100%. Absolutely. And the state provides services like that too with the foresters, you know. Absolutely. That you but can, why wouldn't you? It's your crop. Oh. You know, yeah. if you know, if you're, you know, going to cut corn, you know exactly how many bushels you sell. And it's not like why you're not do it the next year. <laughs> right. <laughs> Once. Yeah. Why not know how many board feeder leaving your farm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I would advise because it's one of those things people are like, I don't know. I don't know. And loggers come in, they'll give you a bid for about a third of what it's worth, you know, but if you keep them honest, then you'll, mm-hmm. you, and Ben Risings who taught me this stuff, cause Ben's a logger from out in Ohio. And he was like, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Do all of these things. And sure. he really did help refine it. He'd be a great guest just on, on logging. We did have him on once and, and talked a lot about that. We got into that discussion. It was, it was probably one of my favorite podcasts. Because he he was a wealth of information. Yeah, but, he uh, is. He knows that that game inside yeah. out. Well, and yeah. even calculating board feet. There's mm-hmm. a lot of guys that don't know how to do that, and and there's a science mm, to most. it. <laughs> you know, and some some loggers won't take trees under 21 or 22 inches. So you may have a, a, a crop there where you kind of leave a few of them the first year, and maybe uh-huh. two or three, five years down the road, you may go in there and hit it again. But you kind of got to watch that on the on the front end to say, here's where I want to make my roads. Here's here's the part we're going to have as a graveyard or a boneyard where we're going to load them out. There's a lot to it once you start tearing up the timber and some of them are really good at it i mean i've seen some of them that are absolutely off the charts when it comes to professionalism yeah big time but you got to stay on top of it there's a group in northeast missouri that's making a name for themselves they're called white whitetail loggers and they're going in specifically to these whitetail farms they recognize the market and they're going in and placing brush piles where you want them and creating funnels and all that stuff and they really do get it and do a really nice job john zedner does a super good job for me as well but both of those guys are very very good reputable companies interesting it was exciting to me to, to hear that you could you could realize maybe $10,000 worth of value off a, off a property, depending on what you have in terms of oh, timber. Oh, yeah. And timber, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Which, and the other way to look at that is to say, you know what, if I get in trouble financially, I've got 10 grand sitting here that I could, I could turn it into money if I had to. Sure. That's the other way to look at it. Yeah. Meaning if you wanted to hang on to it or you could, depending on the maturity of the timber, mm-hmm. you know, to where you go in there and you harvest a few, but you leave a few for down the road and you say, you know what, if I have trouble making a payment one year or 
for six months, then I've got something to fall back on. Yeah. Just don't let them cut too small a tree. They'll want to cut you down to 17 inches while they're in there. They want to take what they can. Uh, ben always said, don't let them go below 21 inches. Take okay. 21 and above, yeah. and then you're going to have another cut in yeah. 10 years or so. He's he's hell-bent on that. Nothing below 21. And 40 acres, you know, that seems like that would be a lot of cutting for $10,000 in profit, right? Mm, it depends how much walnut's in there. Yeah. Yeah. I've got an 80 in North Missouri right now with a pile of big straight walnuts and there's a pile of value there. I, I didn't know it. Like I knew they were there, mm -hmm. but I didn't know what the value was. The mark walnut value is really high right now. Hmm. And that's something so to look at. You know, if a, guy, if a guy is looking at buying a piece is try and do some type of assessment yeah, on what that trees timber are there? stand. Yeah. yeah. Just don't educate the seller. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They may not know. I mean, because when I figured this out, I was like, why doesn't everyone just... Timber, the, if, just, if they got money standing It's one there. of those unknown industries, you know, because it's not overly developed. There's just a few loggers in each region, you know, and not a lot of people get mm. that timber stuff. Well, and I've always been resistant about going in there. That's one of the things we never want to do is go into the timber. I mean, ours are like sacred ground. We just yeah. don't even walk through there unless we absolutely have to. So going in there and doing that major disruption is against everything we ever stood for. So, I mean, you got to get it Down in your head and it. say, all right, I'm going to let somebody go in there and and do this mm -hmm. and and hopefully it'll it'll come back yeah, you know and reap rewards later on the goal would be to have it complete by like june or so you yes. know you want to do your cut in the winter or in early spring sure. and get yeah. them out of there you know yeah, but the sure. challenge there is it's always muddy and wet so mm -hmm. it's hard to find that dry period tearing it tearing, tearing it up, up. Yeah. yeah so speaking of timing when is is there a best time of year to start <laughs> looking at properties if if a person is interested I can tell you that the market peaks during the first quarter and slightly into the second every year. Every realtor you talk to, February through about May, they are just gangbusters. And the market heats up a little bit every time because season ended and everybody's like, I got to switch this out before next season. Yeah. The slow time to actually get a realtor's attention, look at a lot of different farms, is either heat of the summer or sometime during the fall because everybody's already out hunting. Mm -hmm. But those are the times where they are the slowest and you'll get the, the most opportunity to visit with them. And, and typically right now, now, when you walk through a piece of timber, insane. you can see an awful lot in a short period of time. But if you mm, wait till sure. midsummer, you really can't see much. Yeah. But now you can get a pretty good eyeball on what kind of timber you've got on a piece. Well, okay. and and what kind of you know deer sign you have. Mm -hmm. You know the the tracks yes. and rubs and all yeah. that stuff. I mean, it's just like you know when you shed hunt, you find so many different things on your property you didn't know may have been there. Right. Well, it's the same when you're looking at a piece of property. Now is a good time to do that. All the mm -hmm. agents will tell you that. Like, hey, if you're going to list it, let's do it before it greens up. Sure. I, uh, I, I've had, I think, four buddies go into the whitetail property real estate business in the past two years. Mm -hmm. And I'm concerned for them because it seems like, boy, if everyone, if everyone's hopping on this, this bandwagon, Gravy train, yeah. a lot of realtors out there, right? Yeah. yeah so how do you pick... Someone that, that is going to shoot you square and, uh, and and advocate for your best interests. I'd say reputation. They don't stick around very long if they are not above board and doing things the right way. So ask around, you know, online, local coffee shop, talk to mm -hmm. people, see who's doing the best job out there. But one thing's for sure, if they're with mossy oak properties or whitetail properties, these reputable groups, chances are you're going to be talking to somebody that's that's pretty knowledgeable. Okay. Yeah, networking is is always good. You know, if you know somebody that went through the experience or has worked with them on numerous occasions, yeah. then it's always good to pick up phone and call them. No doubt. 
kind of this person is is responsible for part of your family's oh, yeah. <laughs> your family's fortune and, oh, yeah. and 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 what you may be leaving your kids and it's just it's such a huge decision and you don't want someone that's just wanting you to sign on the dotted line and move on to the next project that's for sure because it is a big investment and no matter how it is. small or how big the piece is it's going to be expensive and it was big back then mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah. i kind of looked at it as and it, it's Tracy always argued with me on this, but I looked at it as our retirement. I kept saying, someday this is going to be, you know, and I, I didn't have much money in the stock market. Still don't, man. I, I invest in land. I mean, that's what I believe in. Might bite me someday, but up to this point, it's been a blessing. Well, we talked about spouses earlier. That's the hardest sale right there is convincing them yes. that that's the correct <laughs> thing to do because there's so many other things that or needed and necessary when you have children, you have family, you got college, you got cars, you got all this other stuff that's expensive. It's really hard to convince your spouse that, hey, this is the best thing mm-hmm. since sliced bread. You're spending what? On yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, trust me, you know, that, that's what I always say, like looking at our retirement, but that's hard to think that far down the line for, you know, not everybody. Right. has that kind of foresight because of the bills and the problems you may have right now. It's like, Hey, you know, why don't we pay off our house first? Or why don't we do, there's a billion other things, the car payment or whatever. It's like, no, you know, this is something that's not going away. And you might have, you might be able to double your investment down the road. And that's the point. T- tell them about what you, the vision yeah. you see 20 years down the road, not the cost yeah. of it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. I, I do believe that those guys that are working week to week, the blue collar guy that just barely can make ends meet now, you know, finding that becoming a, a silent partner or or that you call it a, the smaller level, that 10 percent partner, you know, and finding that guy that might be interested or two or three other guys that could take down a, a parcel of property. That's the key. And starting today is is the answer. You know, it's not waiting till tomorrow till land continues to escalate. It's starting today because the prices are always relative mm-hmm. and they're going to continue to go up. I think historically it's about a six percent net net on on real estate. Always has been, probably always will be, but it's still relative to what everyone's earning, what everyone's making. I do believe the interest rates today are much lower than they were back when we were borrowing oh, borrowing goodness, money yes. back in the day. Gracious, so yes, I don't know what the interest rate. I don't recall well, what they, they just, were. They were like, they were over five. I know that, like six, seven, I would think. Yes, there was and a right lot of it. We were can, at seven. I'm not get, so sure. Some of them didn't creep up to 10. Yeah. But at anywhere from three to five now, it's pretty mm-hmm. pretty good interest rate. Yeah. The investment factor is a pretty strong is a pretty strong uh, reason to to get in on this. Like, yeah, there's a current a current benefit for hunting and developing something into something that's gonna that's gonna benefit you short term, but also long term. That's one thing that I've noticed, and it's I think it's almost an inverse relationship to the stock market because when the stock market was going down back like '06 through. Oh, oh nine back in there when we had that oh, big yeah. crash, yeah. there was a bunch of money pouring into real estate, you know, because people were pulling it it's out real. of the stock market, put mm-hmm. it in there. This ride that we've been on since, uh, when was it? 16, 17, 17. 17. I've noticed the market has slowed down just a touch, the land mm-hmm. market, just mm-hmm. a bit in certain yeah. areas where it's actually softened a little bit. Prices have stabilized. They haven't continued to increase. And I just wonder if more people have a little more confidence. They're a little bullish on this market. If it starts to go down, I will be inter- it will be interesting to see if the land values start to go up again because they sure went on a ride when the stock market was in the worst of shape then the land prices were increasing at a dramatic pace 
I, I think that's a real phenomenon because gold and silver kind of follow the same sure. the same track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's something tangible that mm-hmm. you can right. You, you can go walk on it. Yeah. Unlike the big uh, Beanie Baby investment I made, that did not <laughs> well at all. And even tillable, you know, that farming property, mm-hmm. farmland is is really really tied to the market and and futures and all those things when it comes to the tariffs and what's going on there and Mother Nature, how she treats the farmers each and every year. So you really got to be cognizant of what they're doing as well. You so know? so farm bill to, plays into it as well when CRP it comes to real, signups, yeah, touch CRP signups. Sure, maybe explain that a little bit because if if you're looking at buying a piece of property and it's got tillable on it, is there a farmer that comes along with the property that 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 was leasing the ground prior? Or how do you even establish that relationship? Perhaps. 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 Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Uh, and you really should do your due diligence there and make yes. sure there's either one in place or one or two that you could visit with that have an interest in it and mm-hmm. make sure you define what how high their interest level is. In other words, if it's currently renting at $150 an acre, is he willing to do that for two to three years? Or does he see it dropping? Or is there someone standing there going, yeah, I would, I would, you know, also do that 150. You, you got to make sure you do, do your due diligence yeah. on the income potential because there's farmers in some areas that, that uh, have been treated a little roughly here of late. It's been a little bit tougher to find good mm. paying tenants than it used to be. And I think a lot of times the listing agent will ask the original owner yes. to find like, Hey, do you have some farmers you recommend or, you know, some prices that you could say, you know, that they could take to a potential buyer and say, yeah, here's a list of farmers in this area that yes. you might be able to go the to. The good agents will okay. have that for you. Yeah. The good ones will. Yeah. Cause most people don't have a Rolodex full of well, farmers <laughs> or know what a Rolodex you is. You know, three hours away, you may not know a single soul. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Where do you even start? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and conversely, you want to check on CRP signups mm-hmm. and what, you know, what can be enrolled and what can't be enrolled, what's, what is enrolled, and then the duration, how long it's in, you know? So there's a lot of programs out there that you really want to do that due diligence that he was talking about to make sure. I'm sorry, go ahead. To make sure that you know what type of income you can generate off of this particular parcel. And we use that acronym a lot. And maybe someone that's newer to deer hunting or even land management may not know what CRP stands for. Because we talk about CRP grass and conservation reserve program. And that's yep. administered by what agency? FSA. And that is? A- NRCS. Farm Service Agency, mm-hmm. Natural Resource Conservation Service, NRCS. I'm not sure exactly what that acronym is. My under- something like that. My understanding is it's it's a program to... to um, Set aside... Yeah, yeah, to set aside natural natural habitat for, for animals and it, it is, but it incentivizes. It's advanced well beyond that now. Now there's stuff out there for pollinators. There's stuff out there for uh, butterflies. There's stuff mm-hmm. out there tree programs. So you really need to. There's an FSA. Uh, office, if it's not in every county, it's in every other county, go in there and you'll get an education like you can't believe on what programs are available. But there's a lot of stuff available right now. It kind of seems like a win-win if you're if you're keeping this piece of ground off off an agricultural routine and it's in CRP, I imagine that has a positive impact on wild, uh, on whitetail habitat. And so you're it, getting it, paid for. You're getting paid, but they also have the legal right to tell you what to do with that ground at that point. Then. So like that's when it comes strain. to mid-contract maintenance and keeping it clean. And, yeah. you know, so there's, it's not just a check. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a liability there that you, you know, take on whenever you sign that contract, okay. it's yours to make sure that you keep it up to date. So read the fine print and know what you're getting into if there's a current CRP program in place make sure you understand your responsibilities when you buy that piece of property 
Perfect. And so, mon- so many of those programs were, were really set up because the land was highly erodible, you know, and they were designated yeah. as to try and stop that erosion. So they didn't want them continually turning the soil each and every year. So they said, all right, we need to plant some cover crop on this and stop that erosion. That was kind of why it was set up many, many years ago, I do believe. Yeah, sure. And that, that was all like Great Depression stuff, mm-hmm. right? Those mm-hmm. are programs. I think some of that. it went all the way back to the old uh, Dust Bowl days. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's where it, that's where it came out of, the or the genesis of it, you know, act. came out of those Dust Bowl age. And yeah, I think that initial C- CRP stuff, though, started occurring back in the 90s, did it not? Uh, I'm trying to think when I bought my first farm, because it, it had been in about 10. I think it started in the 80s to the 90s, if I'm not mistaken, because some of that stuff was in the original set-aside stuff. And I, I think that's when it, it originated, at least there in Iowa, if I'm not gotcha. mistaken. A farmer could probably the tell fa- us a lot. Back there to the farm bill, and yeah. you could probably research it and Google it and find out where it, where it got its roots, yeah. you know? There's probably people listening right now that are just like, it was 1984. I'm sure they know. But I, I thought I bought in, in 97 and, and it had been in for 10 years. So I feel like it's sometimes started in the 80s, at least that farmer. I thought that was one of some of the original set, of, set aside stuff, if I'm not mistaken. But that doesn't mean it wasn't different in other states. It looks like 1985 was Mark. There you the, go. Uh, the, the 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 genesis, the genesis as, as, as what we the farm hey, Matt let's cut out the part where I said um, Great Depression era <laughs> <laughs> you know he's gonna leave it in now and then Matt Drury the idiot <laughs> I don't it started in seventeen seventy six a bunch of emails <laughs> over that <laughs> oh, gosh. any any parting words of wisdom for someone looking because you guys have been there and done that any words of wisdom in addition to what you've already given us on land I, I just would like to reiterate it's about starting small. And not yeah. trying to, you know, overspend your means, making sure that you can afford it. And if you can't afford it, look outside of that, you know, try and find a partner that's got the same strategy, game plan, passion that you do and doing your homework, doing that due diligence, boy, making sure that you leave no stone unturned when it comes to, you know, those liabilities that we were talking about or what type of income you can generate. So there's a whole list of things you can do, but... Uh, and then going to a bank and finding out what the interest rates are and then finding out how long you can lock it in and whether or not you can get the loan. So there's a, a really a bevy of things that you have to do on the to-do list. I find that talking to people that have done it and and have done it for a long time, that helps as much as anything because it's like sure. you just don't know what you don't know. So even going to a local branch, you know, the a local bank, mm-hmm. they might not understand if, if you live in, you know, like here in the suburbs of St. Louis, it's like, all right, you want to do what? It's for what exactly? You know, <laughs> they may not understand what you're trying to, oh, it's recreational ground that it's far hunting and it's investment. <laughs> it's no like, what, what they're going to be interested in is the appraised value of the piece you're talking about. So mm-hmm. walk in there with an appraised value and go, here's what it's worth. Sure. Yeah. You know, because they, they do recognize appraisals, whether yeah, it be yeah. in the housing industry or in land, they'll recognize that and then yeah. they can they can at least go oh it is it is valued correctly or you're getting a decent deal here so therefore they might be b- able to borrow you a little bit more if if by chance it's appraised value is a little bit more than what the list value is mm-hmm. then all of a sudden your 20 percent that you're bringing in to list yeah. is worth about 30 percent per appraised yeah. so yeah. make sure you have an Sweet. appraisal that goes with it yeah so if you think purchasing a car or purchasing a house is you know you you put a lot of thought and effort into that decision it's that times 10 <laughs> feels well, like very similar to purchasing a home in yeah. all, all reality yeah, yeah. So when you start talking about the dollar amount yeah. Depending on how big you start, but if you're at 
40 acres, 50 acres, and then you jump up to 80 and so on. Just keep stair-stepping, you know, each time trying to make an advancement. There is an article in DeerCast that pretty much says, hey, you, sca- you scaffold your way into bigger pieces of property and it makes a lot of sense. It makes it less daunting. That article was quite a while back, wasn't it? It was. If I remember yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, we might run that one again. That was a really Did Ryan good, really write good that piece. one? Jeremy Kerber. Jeremy. Yeah, okay. it was a good piece. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was a good piece. It's a snowball. That's the way I always look at it. Start here and let it grow. Let it grow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Steve Stoltz, of all people, is telling uh, me right He'll do anything to be <laughs> a guest timing, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I should have put that on Do Not Disturb. Uh, is this, is this he's, live? Did he's you just hear the looking to be a minority, minority investor. <laughs> right. He's got us bugged. I'll hang the stands. <laughs> <laughs> Triple canopy. Labor. Triple canopy. Classic. Uh, let's, uh, let's hop into the wildlife word, shall we? All right. Let's, let's do it. it. This week's wildlife word is dark muscle. Sounds eerie and foreboding, doesn't it? <laughs> Terry's patting his bicep. Terry, mid-August, fully tanned. He didn't wow. say what muscle. He said dark muscle. <laughs> fully tan at the lake on his dock, mid-August. Like dark bronze muscle. Bush, bush light in hand. That's right. <laughs> Mick Ultra. Do you do you tan or do you just get red? Ha! I don't tan. I really don't. I, and there's reason behind that. It, number one, because Willa just went through some surgery not too long ago with you know, some cancer sure. cells that we got rid of, but it's, it's ugly. You know, you don't want to expose yourself any more than you have to. I and we're outside, sun. we're outside, you know, year round. I mean, we're, we're rarely not outside. Yeah. So I'm just very careful about it. Sure. The sun. sun rarely sun. not inside. Sun, right. We're pasty <laughs> just because we are. Uh, so dark muscle are the muscle fibers that are full of fat and myoglobin for sustained use. Like, like a turkey's legs, uh, the drumsticks, are dark, dark muscle or dark, or dark meat because okay. they're used all the time. It's hmm. a type of, type of muscle. Makes sense. Tissue. They are dark. Yeah. <laughs> they're also full of tendons. Yeah. I would have called it tendon muscle. <laughs> yeah. Almost Man, them impossible there. to eat. It's incredible. Well, you got to debone it or boil it down. That's what two. our Aunt Ethlyn, Uncle Marvin's wife, Aunt Ethlyn, she used to uh-huh. always boil it down and then make turkey salad out of it. We oh, ate yeah. it, boy. You yeah. cook them down. Yeah. Remember this? <laughs> I've crack potted them and then strip the meat off and then eat. I mean, it's just a bunch of scraps. But yeah. We yeah. clean it and we debone them. When we clean the turkey, because sure. we grind all our turkeys and that dark muscle really makes the breast overall much, much more moist and much more palatable. Yeah. It's amazing how much better ground is when you include the thighs and the legs into that breast. Huh. Huh. He just gave me a bunch of, of ground turkey meat that we used in chili the other day. It was so good, man. You can't tell it from, I, I find it some of the most pleasing ground meat. It, I've it's ever good. Eaten. Yeah, it is good. It's good. I've never heard anyone say the words pleasing ground meat before. <laughs> I love I, it. I, I like that. <laughs> I find wild turkey to be more flavorful than like the butterball that you'd buy. Oh, absolutely. At, uh, at the store. It is. Especially when you deep fry it, <laughs> you batter it. <laughs> well, it's yeah. funny because there's just no game, like there's no gaminess to a wild turkey because people mm-hmm. complain about gaminess. Somewhat bland. You know, a, a, a store bought is bland. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah compared to a wild, wild turkey. I yep. agree. Yeah. Yep. So there's wildlife word. There you go. Beautiful. Right. Which means we can end the show because people have been fully satisfied. <laughs> yeah. And no doubt and waiting welcome. on the wildlife. Yes. Word. Most people. <laughs> That's why we put it at the end. <laughs> people stick around. Just stick around. <laughs> we don't want to lose them right out of the gate. That's Terry's right. biting his tongue right now. <laughs> it's going to be nice. If he had a thought, he'd tell you. <laughs> no doubt. 
Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you, Chaz, for the question. If you want to leave a question, go to duryoutdoors.com slash podcast, click the send voicemail tab, leave your name, location, and what burning question you have you'd like us to answer on the air. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Peace out. Good luck buying that piece of ground. <laughs>